Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I understand complaining about the weather is a completely a completely useless exercise. I mean, it's it, it's going to be what it's going to be and you know, complaining about the weather is like what's the example we use that the drunk at the end of the bar at two o'clock in the morning who's railing about how the 2020 election was stolen and they should go in and frog march Joe Biden out of office. Not not going to happen. But um, boy, you just even look at the forecast for the rest of this week. I mean, uh, temperatures not supposed to get out of the 40s. Rain on Thursday and Friday, and then you know maybe a little bit of a warm up, but still um, abnormally cold weather. They say maybe by Tuesday you, we, we top out or over 70, but then then it looks like it gets a little bit cold again. So wow, it's just been a truly truly miserable spring. All right, we will start off with the subject that everybody is discussing, the leaked opinion from Justice Alito, um, Elite Justice Alito, uh, indicating that there is a majority of members of the United States Supreme Court who, is, who are apparently willing to overturn the 50-year-old decision Roe versus Wade. First of all, let me just explain to you how this stuff happens to give you a, to give you a background of what, what a draft opinion is. After... The Supreme Court hears oral arguments in a case, and in this particular case, it was argued in February. What happens is pretty much that that day, typically, the justices all go into this big room and they vote on how they think they are going to decide the case. Are you going to affirm the conviction? Are you going to affirm? Are you going to overrule, etc.? Then what happens is so you get a majority. And one of the most senior judge in the majority then will assign one of the justices to write the opinion, okay? And, and to write an opinion, especially, let's say, in a case like this where you're examining you know, Roe versus Wade, it, it could take months to write the opinion. So the assignment is, okay, we've got a majority of justices. We've got five justices who apparently are, are willing. They, they think that Roe versus Wade was poorly decided. They're willing to reverse it. All right, so in this case, it would be the chief justice picks one of those five in the majority to, to go write the opinion. So then that justice goes off and works with his or her law clerks for however long it takes to write the opinion. When you get a draft of the opinion done, what happens is that opinion is then circulated to all the other justices, and the justices read it, and they, they have a couple things that they can do. They can agree with it in its entirety. They can disagree with it. And if they disagree with it, they have the option of writing what is called a dissent. If they agree with some but not all of it, they can write a concurrence. And what can also happen, and it it does, I guess, from time to time, is sometimes after you read the decision, 
there can be other there there can be kind of like horse trading or things like that you and and sometimes these decisions evolve sometimes after reading a decision maybe one of the justices who originally voted yes for example says i'm i'm not comfortable with some of this stuff and i i want to change my vote to no so there's always a little bit of horse trading that that goes on ultimately what happens is um the the draft um, assuming that, that people don't materially change their positions, you know, the draft is then finalized, and when they announce the decision, they, they read the decision, and then you've got the concurrences, you've got the dissents, sometimes justices dissent in part and concur in part. You know, it, it's, that's, that's the process. So what apparently happened here is that after the draft was written, and now they've confirmed that this was, in fact, a, a legitimate draft— like I say, it gets circulated to all the justices and the law clerks who are young lawyers. In general, it's you, you get out of law school and you get hired, and it's very prestigious to clerk for the United States Supreme Court. So you get hired to clerk for the Supreme Court. Most of the clerks, I believe, work two years. I think that that's I know, you know what what the pattern typically is for the Supreme Court. So um, I believe. What happened, and I, you know, I guess we, we don't know for sure yet, but we will at some point in time. I think what happened is one of the law clerks for one of my guess is it's the liberal one of the three liberal justices that are on the court saw this opinion, saw where this was going, and because they didn't like the idea that the court was going to reverse Roe, leaked the opinion in its entirety. It is an incredible breach of judicial ethics. Once they find the person who did that, I, I think they should be disbarred. I, I just I believe that. I know some people are talking about how they should be prosecuted. I don't know about that, but I, I think they should definitely be disbarred. Will that happen? No, because once that person is identified, my guess is they will be viewed as, as a hero among some for publicizing the atrocity that the Supreme Court was going to come out with. Okay, but so that's what I, I think happened. My best guess would be it would be a law clerk for one of the three liberal justices who decided to here let let's let's let the the public see what the Supreme Court is doing before they actually announce the opinion and before the opinion is finalized, maybe in a hope that there will be enough of a public groundswell that rises up that causes justices to change or rethink their opinion. If that's the case, I think it's unlikely. Actually, my my general sense is it probably makes it more likely that the justices on the Supreme Court aren't going to change their minds because to change their minds would indicate that, gee, you know, we can be pressured by the public. So I, but I think that's ended, that's what ended up happening in this particular case. All right, let's talk about the substance of this. So that's how the, the, the leak happened. Let's talk about the substance. And let's talk about what reversing Roe would and would not do. First, reversing Roe versus Wade would not automatically make abortion illegal in this country. And that gets lost in the conversation. Reversing Roe versus Wade would allow individual states then to decide whether abortion should or should not be legal and under what circumstances. Um, under Roe versus Wade, the court— 50 years ago, decided that there was a constitutional right for a woman to have an abortion. The problem with Roe all along has been there's nothing in the Constitution that says 
that a woman has a right to have an abortion. So it was always kind of a stretch. Let's see how we can take constitutional theories and apply them because a majority of the court at the time wanted to protect the quote-unquote right to choose. And so Roe has always, at least in my opinion, it's been kind of a a convoluted thing trying to create a a right— um, that that doesn't expressly exist in the Constitution. And, you know, you, you might say that the whole argument was, well, you know, people have a, a right to do what they want with their own bodies. We, we shouldn't be telling a woman what she can do with her body. Well, that, that's fine. But that, that yet we then say, but you, you can't use heroin. You know, using heroin is criminal, but you, you can have an abortion. It, it's always been a very, very sticky situation to try to justify this, which isn't saying how you feel about abortion one way or the other. It's a question about whether it's a constitutional right. So the most important point to make is that if if Roe versus Wade is ultimately overturned, it doesn't make abortion illegal per se. What it does is say individual states get to decide. Now, in Wisconsin, there's a law that goes back to the 1850s that that makes abortion, in all cases except uh, life of the mother, health issues, it, it makes it illegal. So that's the 18, that goes back to the 1850s. If Roe were overturned in Wisconsin, my guess is we would have a debate in the public as to, you know, whether where the public is and do we want to, under the law, restore the right to abortion and change that 18-something law, then, of course, you'd have the whole question about whether prosecutors would enforce this or whatever. The law in Wisconsin does not punish the woman. It does punish abortion providers. And my guess is that if Roe versus Wade were tossed out, abortion providers would stop providing abortions in Wisconsin until that the law is changed, if in fact the law is changed. So Roe versus Wade doesn't outlaw abortions per se. It just says individual states have the rights to decide this one way or the other. All right. Our number with that background, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I confess to being a bit surprised about this. I, I believed firmly that the United States Supreme Court was going to limit Roe versus Wade. I, I felt strongly that the various states which have adopted, for example, 15-week limits on abortion, that with the exception of life of the mother, and the number of the number of cases with medical science is it, is it now where you need an abortion beyond like 15 weeks to save the life of the mother, that those are, are very, very rare. But I, I guess they could, in fact, exist. But that's what the state of medical science is now. But I firmly believe that the limits on Roe versus Wade were going to be scaled back, and a number of states that have, again, 15 week um, abortion periods, I, I believe that that was probably going to be upheld. I am a little bit surprised that the court appears to be willing to take that next step and completely overturn Roe versus Wade. But if the court does overturn Roe versus Wade, it then becomes the political issue because, like I say, politicians can pass laws. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we go from here? Where should we go from here? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. One of our texts says, Jeff, do you think Roe was correctly decided in the first place? My answer is I think Roe's a mess, and I've said that before. And that has nothing to do with 
how you feel about a woman's right to have an abortion. It's a question of, is it a constitutional right? And I have always... I have always had trouble with this. How do you distinguish the right to have an abortion and do what you want with your body versus the limitations we have in all sorts of other areas about what people can do with with their bodies? So I've always thought Roe was a mess, which is different than saying, can you put the genie back in the bottle? Can you say we're not going to allow abortions? Can you force you know, women who make the decision that they're going to do that, can you force them into the back alleys and things like that? I guess my, my, my first comment on all this is I think a lot of this angst is very, very premature. I think that this is what happens when you have, again, these sort of leaked drafts in the middle of, of a process. I think what people really need to do is they need to dial it back a step or two and wait and see what the Supreme Court comes out with and then figure out what the solution is going to be, if there is a solution. Do we want to continue to keep to um, say that this 1850-whatever law in Wisconsin is valid um, and we're going to be enforcing it? Do we want to say, hey, if we're going to put something like that into effect, it has to be reenacted? All the, these are issues. But for a lot of this angst that's going on now, I do think it, it's premature. And let's be honest, it's, of course, very, very politically motivated. This is an attempt to move the abortion issue into the front burner as we're, we're looking at, at midterms. Will it work? Well, if it is, it might be a little bit premature. Maybe maybe the people that have an agenda would have been better off waiting till the decision came out in June or July, closer to the midterms, to uh, to drop this bombshell after the decision occurred. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, first of all, extremely difficult issue. Has been for a long time. I can remember people writing persuasive papers on this in junior high even uh, back in the 70s so it's always been I'm sure long before that Um, let me also start by saying that it's something that I struggle with personally I kind of go back and forth on it Uh, but the one thing I do believe is that it shouldn't be a constitutional right I don't believe that I don't believe that the um, you know the courts had the power to do that uh, regardless of how I feel whether it's you know right or wrong Um, so I guess what I said to your screener is, I guess you were, what you were kind of saying is that, you know, take a safe step back because it's going to be wait and see. I do believe this draft is legitimate. Um, I oh, think yeah. the person who leaked it, hopefully they find the person, uh, but you don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. Um, but I do believe that it is going to play in the election for sure. Oh, yeah. There, there, no, thanks. There, there's no question about it, Mike. This, this is, and I think whoever leaked this, this was partly their intent to try to, you know, generate such a, a an outrage, if there's going to be an outrage about this, that it maybe cause a couple justices in the Supreme Court to rethink their opinion and say, okay, well, you know, we have to give in to the public. I, I actually, if that was the idea, I, I think it, it's actually going to be the other way around, because I think it's going to cause a lot of the justices to maybe dig in their heels and say, well, we're not going to be held hostage by this, because this is part of the, the precedent that you set. So now anytime there's going to be a controversial decision, you can have a a law clerk, assuming that's what's happened, uh, decide that, well, I don't like this particular decision, so I'm going to leak this in order to gin up public outrage, so maybe we can pressure the justices to do something else. And and if that becomes the the standard operating procedure, well, I I think that the court, which 
for all the criticisms you want to have against about the Supreme Court, the, the court, the one thing that has, has really always operated on and the people that work in the court, they have they have appreciated the need for secrecy until the decisions and the deliver, deliberative process that goes through until the decisions actually come out. And, and again, I understand that the way this is being spun is, well, this would end women's rights to have abortions. No, it, it, it wouldn't. Um, it would say there's no constitutional right to do that, and it would be up to various states to decide what sort of limitations they want to put on it, if any limitations, or if they want to allow it. My sense is that I understand the politics of this, but I think the majority of people in this country do not want to see women deprived of the right to have an abortion, but at the same time also support reasonable limitations on this. And we can argue about what a reasonable limitation is. But where do we go from here? Back with more in just a minute. A number of people are speculating on on, on the leak. Um, the, the first reporting came from Politico, which is, of course, an online website of this. But the Washington Post is saying that the opinion was also leaked to them. So, and, I, and I'm presuming it's a law clerk, and I think that's probably going to turn out to be correct, um, apparently was going to a number of sources trying to disseminate, peddle the story or, or whatever to get it out in the public, thinking that by putting this out in the public, maybe you could create a groundswell of public opinion to stop this. I, I don't see that as likely to happen. I mean, who knows in this situation? But I think it does if Roe gets struck down. It does then, I mean, raise this underlying question of where do we go from here? And that's what I want to do after the news. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us assume for the sake of argument that this opinion holds and that Roe versus Wade is struck down, holding that there is no constitutional right for somebody to have an abortion. That then puts it back in the hands of the legislature, in this case, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's legislature, which is dominated by Republicans and the Democrat governor, to try to decide where we go from here. So where do we go from here? If Roe versus Wade is struck down, what would you like to see happen? What sort of state law would you like to see? Would you like to see that all abortions be continue to be um, illegal, as they are under this 1850 law, with the exception of certain health exceptions? Would you like to see abortion allowed within 15 weeks, 20 weeks, 12 weeks? 855-616-1620. If Roe is struck down, where do we go from here? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are almost 6,500 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin Retirement System, which covers employees of the UW system, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS, that's Wisconsin Retirement System, potential on Wednesday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan? No matter your age or retirement status, learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions. Register for the free webinar. It is free at AnnexWealth.com slash events. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 there, It is interesting about how this, this, this issue with what the Supreme Court might do with Roe versus Wade, how it's bringing people out from under the covers or off the milk cartons. John Chisholm, 
and it, I, I've got a link to this little YouTube video. Milwaukee County John Chism, District Attorney John Chisholm, yes, the infamous John Chisholm, who has pretty much been on a milk carton for the past six months, avoiding questions about charging decisions, bail decisions, and sentencing recommendations. Well, he, he found the time to resurface yesterday or this morning to discuss the, this unissued abortion decision. Actually, I've got a link to the YouTube video of it. But it is kind of amazing to me that, well, you know, Chisholm, who doesn't want to answer questions about, gee, why do we, why didn't we charge these people? Or why did we make this sentencing recommendation? Or, you know, this is how we're going to explain these various bail cases. He's got five minutes to come out and, and talk about the whole abortion thing. And predictably, you know, he said, Saying, well, this is it's going to be terrible because, you know, prosecutors are going to be put in this very, very bad position. And I, again, I'm not even sure that the 1850 whatever law is still enforceable if it if it's not reenacted. And, and that's, again, going to be a question that people have to have. But my question is, if if Roe versus Wade is reversed, where where do we go? I mean, what what should the law on abortion be? And I guess there, there's really, I mean, multiple choices with this. One is that there shouldn't be any abortions at all, period. Or if there are abortions, they should be in limited cases like um, rape or incest or the life of, of the mother. As I, I said, the life of the mother exception, given where medical science is now, that, that's a very, very small number. Uh, but, but it's still, I guess, possible. The other restriction should be the, uh, the other way you could go is that there should be no restrictions on this at all. It's just it's a woman's right to choose how why does anybody else have a right to tell a woman what she can do with her body? And then there's kind of the the middle ground and the Goldilocks thing, you know, the porridge is too hot, the porridge is too cold. There is that that middle ground where I firmly believe most of America is, and that is that there should be the right to an abortion, except it should not be an unlimited right. And and maybe the the number that gets thrown around a lot is the 15 weeks, because the the truth of the matter is, if you look at abortions in this country now, the overwhelming majority, like 94 percent, that's the last number I saw, 94 percent of the abortions that are done in this country are done within the first 15 weeks. So the number of abortions that are done after that, and, and after that point, let's face it, you're starting to get closer and closer to viability, that the the, the middle ground on this is, yes, there is a right to abortion, but the, the law will allow abortions, but it's not an unlimited right, which is why, for example, Florida has their new law, and Florida says, you know, 15 weeks, pretty much no questions asked. After 15 weeks, well, then you, you need to, uh, again, it has to be for a health-related reason, like a, the life of a mother. And the argument would be, well, okay, what about a situation where there's rape or incest? Well, okay, isn't isn't 15 weeks, three and a half months, going to be enough to allow people to have that opportunity? 855-616-1620. See, I think most people in this country are, are at that, that sort of middle ground. And, and maybe maybe it's not 15 weeks, maybe it's 18 weeks, maybe it's it's 14 weeks. That's where I think most of, of the country is. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Um, what do you think? Okay. All right. Well, I just did research real quick on the Internet. I found an um, article under Neurology Today, which is very reputable, that says the fetus does not feel pain until 28 weeks. So I think that abortion should be legal up until through 27 weeks. 
27 weeks. Okay, four into 27. So you're you're talking almost seven months. I don't know. I, I, I could be wrong. I'm that, That's way past the fetus being viable. I'm not sure there's... Oh, yeah, okay. Now, I'm not sure now, there's that, a, I, now that you mentioned that, okay, take that back. It's a little embarrassing. I should have done the math on it. Okay, that, that is too late. Oh, all right. Oh, okay, good. Okay, 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 Thanks, Tom. I'm, I'm, that's seven and a half months. I, I'm sitting there, and I don't claim to be an expert on abortion laws. I'm not sure... There's any state in the country that allows that Roe versus Wade, by the way, Roe versus Wade. And that's always been part of the problem with Roe versus Wade is it wrestles with the idea of trying to create this right to an abortion and trying to figure out what is the fetus and and when does the fetus become a a baby, et cetera. And, I mean, there's some people that believe it happens at conception. There's other people that believe the whole question is viability. But, no, I I don't think— I don't think, unless you're really, really hardcore, no limits on any sort of abortion, I don't think anybody's going to be pushing for seven and a half months. But that's that's just me. Let's talk to Louise in Ozaki County. Louise, good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Jeff. Um, I want to go back to exactly what you're saying about um, in the Constitution uh, and states' rights. I've always felt that the closer we get to our local government, whether it's uh, uh, your your county, uh, but your state, people then are able to take a look at what is being passed and have really input. I realize that uh, the federal government has a, uh, a, a right to do things. However, to pass it all on all the states uh, limits the viability of what people think should do about this problem. So the closer, I'm hoping, that they pass it back to the states. Mm-hmm. And then people in the states, we're closer to our state officials. People have more of a voice and can talk about really what they think should be done and the limitations on what the uh, state uh, and the medical mm-hmm. community, too, ha- yeah. would have good input into our state people and what the, what the, uh, and so, pass uh, in the so, state legislature. So, Louise, what do you think what should happen? Let, let's say you are, you are the governor and, and you've got your persuasive powers that you can bring the legislature along with you and this gets handed back into your lap. What, what, are, you, what are you going to do, Louise? What, what do you think should happen? Well, I wanted, I'd want to get as much information from the medical community as I possibly can. I, I have been listening across the board to Jewish rabbis talk about this, the Catholic Church talk about this, uh, many Christian groups talk about this, the Muslims talk about this. So there is a lot of religion involved in this. Yeah. However, having said that, we need to take a look at the medical community and say, okay, uh, uh, Let's get some really medical facts here, and um, before we pass anything so stringent, okay, I think there's openings for uh, viability, okay, of the fetus. Uh, Some people say it's a baby right from the beginning. Some people say, as you're saying, after so many so much time. So, but we really need to come together uh, to talk. the medical community yeah. first, and our legislators need to do that. Okay, good. And Thanks to call, Louise. I don't mean to cut you off, but I we, we need to come together, and I appreciate that. But here, I mean, here, here here's the real world problem with this, and and you kind of hinted at it in in a way. 
people are very, very divided on on this issue. At least some people are. There are some people, and I'm getting texts from people who think that there should be no, that a woman should be able to do anything she wants with her own body, make that decision pretty much up to the time you give birth. Now, I think that is an extreme position, um, and, and I don't think that's where the vast majority of Wisconsinites or Americans are. Then, of course, there's other people who just don't believe that there should be any exceptions, no abortions, whatever. At conception, this is a life, and you should not be able to do it. I continue to believe that the majority of us are in in the middle on this, respecting that it is that, that there is a, a right to—and right's the wrong way—that that people should have the option to do what they want to do with their body up to a certain point where this then then you have to recognize that 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 fetus has become a baby and you know you can't you you've made that point where beyond that you know you, you can't have the abortion unless it's in a certain unless that you can again demonstrate something with the life of the mother I, I and I say I believe the vast majority of people are in that middle ground but to your point Louise part of the problem is because People are so dug in on this, especially on on the extremes on both sides, and because it is a decision that involves people's religious beliefs, etc., I don't know that you can ever get to that, that middle ground. I think the middle ground is somewhere along the lines of what you're hearing, like in Florida, 15 weeks or you know maybe it's 18 weeks or, or whatever it should be. But that's where I think that the majority of, of Americans are, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Rick in McGuanago. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you are just actually correct on the, the stats out there show disproportionately, not just America, but also in Wisconsin, that people favor a, a right to uh, abortion, but on a limited uh, basis. In other yeah, not words, absolute, not yeah. Throughout, uh, throughout a pregnancy, absolutely. My, my, um, hesitation is that I, I just don't know, you know, a lot of people talk about bring, bringing it back locally to the state level. When you have a state like ours that basically um, is gerrymandered so hard that basically uh, representatives really don't have any competition, I don't know to what extent they even listen to people. So to me, I look at the political forces that come in play. Uh, you have four um, candidates for governor who flat out uh, support in the GOP that support a total restriction uh, on abortion. Uh, I, I've never known the state legislature recently to to, um, to have a compromising relationship with a governor who's not in the same party. So I just, you know, I'm perhaps cynical uh, in my age, but I just don't have faith that basically um, that people will be listened to in our state, uh, that constituents will. I think it'll boil down to political uh, posturing and listening to interest groups and the pressures that are brought to bear upon politicians. What do you think it and should I think be, the, Rick? I think the state. What What do you think it should oh, be, I think Rick? What you said is exactly right. I think what you said is exactly right. I think that up to a certain point in time, you have to make the decision. And 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 again, for people to posture so far as as life, and we've made decisions in other areas that, or the people who claim to be pro life, are, are making decisions that affect people's lives, uh, and not in a good way. So I don't buy that argument either. I think at 15 weeks or whatever it might be is a reasonable uh, way to approach this particular issue. Um, and I think... Not unlimited access to abortion. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. Again. And I firmly believe that's where the majority of people are uh, in this, this country. I mean, I understand that, that you've got people on, on both sides that are, are very loud and feel very strong. And, and look, and I, I, I respect... 
I, I, I respect these different positions. I, I understand. I, I get it. Oh, you know, if you think there should be any abortion, well, you're automatically a baby killer. If you think that there, there should be any restrictions at all, don't you understand women should have an absolute right to choose? Well, I, you know, we, we don't have absolutes in—we we, we make all sorts of, you know, compromises and limitations on what people can and cannot do. And the question is, what what is reasonable and where is society on a particular issue? And I, again, I firmly believe that society is overwhelmingly on—, on on the side of allowing abortions up to a certain point and beyond that certain point, um, no, unless, and again, you can create a couple exceptions to this. I think, you know, health of the mother is always going to be one. I, I have people texting me saying, well, I think if you're an incest or a rape victim, you should be able to abort a child at any time. Well, I, I don't know that that's where the majority of people are either. And I guess the question is, what is a reasonable period in in those narrow sort of exceptions? What is, the, what is a reasonable period to allow somebody to end up making that choice? But those are, again, we're talking about the, the the vast, vast minority of cases, the majority of, of abortions, let's face it, they are elective procedures that are done not for the health of the mother and not because the mother was the victim of rape or incest. There are elective procedures. So for that, the issue is what what is reasonable? Is, is 15 weeks unreasonable? Now, I appreciate what you're saying, Rick, and that is that w- with politics now, it is so very, very polarized that it's, it's difficult to— it's difficult to figure out where the center is on this, and it's difficult to have a debate and say, okay, this is going to be a reasonable sort of position. But I'm just – I'm telling you ahead of time that this this may very well be where where we are. So I think people moving forward need to start thinking about, okay, what what is reasonable here? Um, is it reasonable to say – Wisconsin, no abortions at all, period. Um, what, and what does that lead to? Is it reasonable to say, okay, Wisconsin, no limitations on abortion at all? Is, is that reasonable? Or do we need to start talking about maybe a middle ground, which, like I say, is where I believe the majority of Wisconsinites and the majority of people in this country are? Karen in New Berlin. Karen, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Give me a female perspective. Okay, um... All right, uh, female, and also um, just to know, I'm a moderate Democrat, so you might be interested. Um, I was telling the person uh, who took the call that I used to always end things with, except in the case of rape or incest. And and when I was listening to everybody speak, all of a sudden it occurred to me that how would you prove that? And that, that's something that sometimes ends in trial. And maybe that shouldn't even be in there. Maybe it would be more reasonable to set a time limit. Mm -hmm. As a woman, and as a woman who's had a child, um, I think it would be reasonable. I'm teetering between 12 and 16 weeks. I know most people say 15. 12 may be a little stringent. I guess there are people that do not know at three months that they are pregnant. As a woman, I cannot imagine by 16 weeks not knowing, and I think at that point, if I have not made a decision, then that, mm-hmm. by default, made my decision, and I have to think about the other life now, not uh, just me. Karen, thanks for the call. I'm sorry. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more, but I'm kind of up against the clock. I actually believe, Karen, that that you're 
you're what, what and I don't know. I don't know. Twelve, fifteen, six. I, I don't know. But I, I do think, as I've been saying, I think the vast majority of, of people are, are somewhere along where you are, whatever exactly that, that week total is. And again, I, I, I don't know. And maybe that's one where you, you bring the doctors in and stuff. But I, I think I, I don't think other than an extreme, most people would favor unlimited up till the time somebody's ready to give birth abortions. And as far as you know, no abortions at all, I, I think while I appreciate the religious arguments against that and the theoretical arguments, I don't think that's where the vast majority of people are. And it's important to have this conversation because if Roe is outlawed, this is the discussion that we are going to have to have as it impacts the, the legislature. Uh, back with more in just a couple of minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, the more things stay the same, the more things stay the same. That, I, you know, we're getting all this lip service about like reckless driving and things. And, and I look, I, I do I think it's good, as I said yesterday, that they're now going to start towing the cars of people who are involved in reckless driving. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I, I would expand it, as I was arguing yesterday. You know, you get caught driving without a license, which is just, it's a joke around here. Instead of getting the ticket and watching the people ball it up and throw it away, I'd get them out of the car and seize their car and say, okay, you know, you're, you're not getting the car back until you demonstrate that you've got a driver's license and the car is registered and you've got insurance. But but that's just me. Meanwhile, people continue to be injured and to die on the mean streets of Milwaukee as a result of people who just cannot drive properly. Now, there was the story the other day, actually, you know, yesterday that we talked about where you had the 72-year-old man who was on a street corner, and what happened was car blows through a red light at a high rate of speed, gets hit by a car that's uh, entering the intersection that has the right of way. Both of the cars spin out. The car that ran the red light in the first place, driver loses control, and the car hits and kills a 72-year-old man who's doing nothing but standing on the street corner. All right, well, there's been another death, the second pedestrian fatality in in four days in Milwaukee, and that happened uh, this morning about 6 a.m. Here's the deal. 39-year-old woman um, is on 35th and Lisbon, okay, standing on the corner. This is about 6 in the morning. I don't know if she's waiting for a bus. I don't know if she's getting ready to walk to work. I I don't know. It doesn't matter. 39-year-old woman on the corner of um, 35th and Lisbon, about 6 o'clock in the morning. According to the police, just before 6 a.m., a vehicle, wait for it, runs a red light and, wait for it again, collides with a second vehicle. Now, in this case, unlike the one the other day where the vehicle that illegally ran the red light got hit and that's the one that hit the pedestrian, in this case, car runs through a red light, hits a second vehicle. That second vehicle then spins out, strikes the 39-year-old woman who was standing on the corner. She's killed instantly. Um, She's dead on the scene. The driver of the vehicle that was struck, this would be the person that's that's got the right of way, but is hit by the car careening through the red light. 30-year-old Wauwatosa woman suffered non-threatening injuries and was taken to the hospital for treatment. But here's the problem with all this. The, The woman that's driving that car, who was doing nothing wrong, 
I mean, she was she was in the intersection with the right of way when some crazy person again blows through the red light and hits her. She's going to have to live for the rest of her life with the knowledge that it was her car that struck and killed this 39-year-old woman who was standing on the street corner. Now, I understand she, she's not she's not responsible for that. I mean, she didn't do anything wrong, but nevertheless, you have to live with that. And And this is the type of stuff. We're talking about this because it was a pedestrian that was killed. We're talking about the case that happened the other day because it's a pedestrian that was killed, two pedestrians in the space of four days. But this stuff is happening all the time. I mean, here's just another story that thankfully, but for the grace of God, didn't result in in a death. Uh, This happens at 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon. 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We're we're not talking about 3 a.m. in the morning. 1 o'clock in the afternoon, not that far from where I am sitting right now, North Holton and East Locust. So this is busy east side of of Milwaukee. 33-year-old woman runs a red light, okay, on Holton and Locust. This time, she strikes a police car as she runs the red light. Two officers, um, let's see, she runs a red light, strikes a squad car. Then, I believe, she strikes another car as well. Two officers and the driver sustained non-life-threatening injuries and were transported to the local hospital. Police are investigating the crash. But once again, it's another one of these stories where, in this case, my God, she hit a cop car. You know, you, you, you blow through a red light and, and hit a cop car. I, we could open up the phone lines which we are not going to do, and take calls for the next hour about people. If I could just ask you, hey, you know, when's the last time you saw somebody blow through a red light or blow through a, a stop sign and in, in Milwaukee County and in the city of Milwaukee particularly? And my guess is, if I took phone calls on that, my guess is it would not be weeks. It would not be months. It might not even be days. It would be, okay, what time is it? I was driving to work. It was 8.30 in the morning. I watched three people blow through red lights. This this is just what goes on on a regular basis. And it's not funny. A lot of the situations just never make the news because it ends up in a in a traffic accident or, or something like that. The, this, the one story broke, made news because it, they hit a squad car when she ran a red light. She hit a squad car. The other two make news because you've got people that are dead. But the vast majority, my guess is 98 percent, never make news, but yet they are happening on a regular basis, causing property damage and terrorizing the community and making it, it you get to the certain point where you just kind of say, all right, I understand I can't drive in certain segments, certain sections of the city anymore because it's so out of control. Now it's the point that you can't stand on the street corners anymore because you you never know when somebody, you're waiting for the light to cross, you never know when some jack wagon is going to blow through an intersection on a red light, hit somebody else, and next thing you know, you're in the morgue. That is the reality of what's going on here. And while I appreciate some of this, okay, well, we need to start getting tougher on this, and I'm all in favor of it. But it's time to stop the lip service. It's time to start seizing more cars. It's time to start putting reckless drivers in jail. Yes, in jail. 
Absolutely, because maybe you'll convince them that they can't continue to drive in this fashion, or at the very least, if they're off the streets for six months or a year or whatever, at least the streets will be safer because that person isn't going to be there to drive through the red light in the unregistered car without a driver's license. Now, I I don't have any hope that our politicians and our chattering class are going to do this because even though the general public, I think, wants to be safe, I get the attitude that's, well, you know, we can't, we're going to, this is going to have a disproportionate impact on certain segments of the community. Well, yeah, yeah, those are the segments of the community that are being terrorized in large part by this type of stuff that is going on. So instead, we say to people, because we don't want to come down too hard on some folks, what we're going to do is we're going to cause all the rest of you to live in fear and be potential victims. Until the public rises up and says, enough is enough, this is the attitude that you are going to get. More people are going to be injured and more people are going to die, and it's just an unfortunate reality, but that's where we are now. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve Scafidi are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties? Well, if so, head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry. The nomination period ends May 13th. It's Waterstone Bank's Salute to Service on News Radio WTMJ. All right. How time flies. This coming Monday, the final Jeopardy answer would be what turns 40 this coming Monday? This, what turns, well, that's, I guess, the the question. The answer would be the Weather Channel. The Weather Channel turns 40 on Monday, 40 years of a state. And and I remember, I actually am old enough to remember back when, I don't remember the first day the Weather Channel launched, but I remember, it was 82, I remember all of a sudden on cable TV that they had this Weather Channel. And I remember being one of the people thinking, 24-7 weather. I mean, who, I I understand that people like tune into weather when you've got a, when when you've got, you know, okay, really bad weather, or you've got a tornado warning, you're trying to, you're worried about a blizzard or something like that. So I, I understand that, particularly for local areas, that, you know, th- there's going to be an intense, I- intense interest in, in weather coverage. And uh, trust me, I, I've been doing this for like full or part time for like 27 years. And I understand that weather coverage is always controversial because there, there's a lot of people who think weather is hyped, all that sort of stuff. And my only response is from the perspective of like TV stations, um, People tune in for weather coverage. You know, that's it is the one thing you, you might have people who are baseball fans. You might have people who are political junkies. But the one thing that unites all of us is weather. You, you want to know, you know, what's the weather going to be like? And if it's a weather situation, people tune in. And so that's why you get the wall to wall coverage on on the local shows when there is something going on. And I understand that people get frustrated. Well, they're just repeating themselves. And I always tell people, though, what you got to understand is. Folks are coming in all all the time. So if you tune to Channel 4 because there's a tornado watch and you want to see where that, that is, and Channel 4 isn't in weather coverage, well, then you're going to turn to Channel 6 or Channel 12 or Channel 58. And they're going to, so that's why you have the wall-to-wall stuff. It, it's a... 
it's it's in many respects it's a business decision as well as a public service to let you know that you know the bad weather is on the way. But I understand why in those moments of you know weather emergencies or dire weather situations people tune in. But I'll be the first to tell you, I it just never occurred to me that you would be able to create a channel that was essentially geared to weather all over the country and all over the world because you know at the end of the day. Do, unless unless you own a home in Miami, Florida, do you really care what the weather in Miami, Florida is today? Unless you're going to, you know, visit, go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a vacation for a week, do you really care what's going on there? All right, maybe if you've got an extreme weather event, gee, we're, we're looking at, I don't know, a, a blizzard in Colorado or, gee, there's wildfires or something that are going on. So maybe in extreme situations, you, you, you tune in. But as a general rule, the idea that you could have a, a channel that, that people would watch for 40 years is just mind-blowing to me. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the secret of the Weather Channel? How did it last for 40 years? And by the way, um, they're in the process of now, it's not only lasting, they're, they're getting ready to launch their first 24-7 Spanish broadcast. So it's it's growing. What What is the appeal? What causes people to watch the Weather Channel? Again, outside of, gee, I'm, I'm concerned that I'm living in Tornado Alley and there might be a tornado like tomorrow. I get that. But just in, in general, when nothing is essentially going on, how can you run a channel that does nothing but weather? What is the appeal? 855-616-1620. And that is, that is a question. I guess I've got some thoughts. But for those of you who are fans, uh, if you're a fan of the Weather Channel, why? <laughs> we discuss in a minute. 855-616-1620. And I, I, the Weather Channel turns 40. I, it, is just, it is mind-boggling to me that a, a TV station, a channel devoted to nothing but weather, has had this kind of longevity. Eileen, um, Eileen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi. Okay, what's the secret of the Weather Channel? Well, you might have family across the country, so you want to know how they're doing and what the weather's like for them, wherever they are, in case you're worried about them. Like, I've got kids in college, so I worry. And then the other thing is, is that if you're alone, like I am too, and a bunch of other people, it's kind of nice to have on in the background is white noise. Okay. It's not like as scary as the news where you like you hear all the bad news of things that are going on, but you feel like you're not as alone. And the news weather casters are always kind of happy and cheerful. Unless, well, that's what I think unless, unless they're standing in the hurricane or something like that, telling people not to go out. Thanks for calling. I, I pre, well, I mean, it, it, you know, no, that, that's all. I admit that's always one of my pet peeves, where you have the the broadcaster that's there, and it's the danger. It's at sixty five degree, the sixty five mile an hour winds, and you've got the horn, the, the tornado, and the, the hurricane, and you've got there. Don't go out here; it's dangerous. And then you got the poor reporter that's standing out there watching all the rain come down well you know i mean maybe that's it maybe it just becomes a a a friend um jeff um in the olden days of the weather channel um pre-al gore's internet farmers and long-haul truckers watched the channel now it's political climate change weather so i've stopped watching this at all jeff when i was an over-the-road trucker my wife watched the weather channel quite often 
I mean, I guess I understand that. You you wouldn't think, though, that that's enough of an audience to sustain an entire 24-7 channel. Jeff, I'm a total weather geek. I love all kinds of weather, and I love hearing about it 24-7. Okay. Um, Jeff, my employer will have the weather channel on in the break room. I thought it's nice. I thought it's nice to that. Also, the weather channel goes in depth on certain stories. And when an event is going on, a tornado or hurricane, et cetera, that you wouldn't get from your five minute local weather segment. Well, again, I, I understand. I, I understand if there's something really going on in the weather. Like, again, you've got, you've got tornadoes that are popping up and stuff. And I, I could understand watching, okay, I'm going to watch for a few minutes about to see the latest tornado that's moving through the trailer park in Wichita or something like that. I, I understand why that might have a, an appeal and stuff. I guess, I, it, look, it's succeeded. So, I mean, God bless them. I mean, they have succeeded. They have grown. They've lasted for 40 years. And clearly, um, there is an appeal that they, you know, have that's, I mean, attracted people, and, and it works. So, I mean, some people might say, I can't believe Jeff Wagner's been on the air for 27 years, so I respect that. I respect that as well, but, you know, you obviously you're doing something that ends up working, but um, our happy birthday wish today goes out to the Weather Channel, which is turning 40 as of next Monday and continuing to grow. So glad to have you with us. We are, um, if you haven't heard, we're, we're going to be leaving our Capital Drive studios and sometime uh, in the next couple months, the offices are going to be moving down to the Avenue, which is the renamed Grand Avenue. We're all excited about that. And the studios, uh, the, the broadcast facilities, um, probably late summer, early fall as they're working through there and, and not a moment too soon. I, I've, I've kind of decided our landlords um, aren't paying the cable bill anymore because all the cable channel, I, you know, we, we have all these different, we, I've got the traffic camera, I've got the weather camera, but you know, the, the basic cable thing, I've noticed that the channels have started disappearing and now they're, they're like kind of all gone, you know, and, and you get this note saying, okay, to receive this channel, call this particular thing. So all I can figure out is that uh, Scripps has just decided, oh, for those radio people, they don't need that cable television. We're just going to get rid of it and stop paying the bill. So I'm looking at a blank screen now. What? When we, we will look forward to the move. There's no question about it. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, got a couple links, including uh, Ron Johnson. And th- I believe that in November, I think that the race... Ron Johnson running for his third term as U.S. senator against whoever the Democratic candidate might be. I I think this is going to be one of the most closely contested races. I understand there's some people who think that Ron Johnson's got no chance of being reelected because of some of the stances he's taken. I I think if you believe that, you're you're wrong. I, I don't know how the race is going to shape out, but I think it's going to be very, very competitive. And Ron Johnson is is finally starting to really get in in the ring. Um, he's got. He's got a couple ads out. I commented on one. Matter of fact, I think I sent out a tweet on it a day or two ago where he's finally starting to respond to some of the attacks that, that he's been getting, including some of the stuff about, oh, he tried to enrich himself while he voted for this like special loophole. Well, it, it wasn't a loophole. It was extending tax benefits to tens of thousands of small corporations, as well as they were scheduled, to, the, the larger corporations were getting it. It was a, a real boon to small businesses. And again, the, the left is trying to portray this as, well, he's trying to enrich himself. Um, 
I mean, it was the right move, and it was one of these really cheap attacks. He's responding to that. But he's also taking the gloves off. His new ad that uh, dropped today, He's um, it, and it's very recurrent. He's It, it shows the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner where you've got Joe Biden and a lot of the – I don't know, media elite kind of yucking it up and laughing about inflation and things like that. And the ad, um, it, it kind of says, look, well, while, while they're laughing about what's going on to you know real people, I'm out here trying to fight for them. So if you want to see it, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But it, it's very clear that Ron Johnson is in this race and he's in the race to win it. November will tell us how that turns out. Speaking of the race, the governor's race um, in Wisconsin, at least for the Republican nomination, I think it was turned on its ear last week when Brownsville businessman Tim Michaels announced that he was going to to run. Um, up until then, I, I think the race was really Rebecca Clayfish's to to lose, and I, I don't think that she was going to lose it. There was another couple candidates, most notably Kevin Nicholson, who is a very, very good candidate, but I don't think he was gaining any sort of traction against uh, Rebecca Clayfish. Tim Michaels, it's a, it's a different story. Michaels is conservative. He's a business guy. He's also a very successful businessman, and he's able to self-finance his campaign. And that's why when you turn on television, you, you see a lot of Tim Michaels ads. My guess is that's going to continue. My guess is you're going to start to hear Tim Michaels ads on radio stations like ours as well. So, you know, he, he's really hit the ground running. And as near as I can tell, he's got a very, very aggressive campaign, as has Rebecca Clayfish. And he's traveling all over the state, and he's making up for maybe be lost ground. So I, I think it's, I don't know who's going to win out of that. I don't know who I'm going to vote for, to tell you the honest to goodness truth, but I, I think it's going to be a very interesting race. As you might expect, though, when you get into a race like this, um, especially if you are a formidable candidate, you immediately become a, a target. You know, people start looking at your background and trying to find things that, I don't know, you can maybe convince the general public that this is a reason why I shouldn't vote for this particular candidate. Okay, so, I mean, here's the background on on Tim Michaels. Tim Michaels and his three and his two brothers they um they run the Michaels Corporation which was a company founded i believe in the 50s by um his his father and mother and so they've worked in the company and been very very successful over time it, it's a major major infrastructure company which bids on road contracts in Wisconsin but also does infrastructure par, uh, projects all over the country Tim Michaels has been very, very successful. This business employs like 8,000 people. And by way of disclosure, I always say this, my wife's niece and her husband, they both work for the Michaels company. And they, they say it's a, it's a great, you know, great company. They, they, they speak very highly of Tim Michaels and they speak very highly of the company and, and the culture. So anyhow, Michaels has been very, very successful. Like many successful people, they have houses in various places. And I've told this story before, but I I have a very dear friend who lives in West Bend. He's been very, very successful, complete self-made guy, and a great, just an absolutely great story. And now he's got a house in West Bend, which is very, very nice. He's got a house in the Naples, Florida area that I have been to, which is very, very nice. He's got a place in Arizona, which is very, very nice. And he kind of splits his time depending on, you know, what's going on at different places. But he splits his time at these various homes. Um, I I have another very, very close friend who's got a place in Colorado, got a place in 
Naples, Florida, and has a very nice place here. Now they spend the majority of their time here, but you know they, they're not necessarily in the winter. They're, they're they're traveling all over to the different places. It's one of the things that success allows you to to do to have multiple places. But in the case of both of my friends, there's no question they are Wisconsinites. I mean, they're Wisconsin residents, and Wisconsin is home. All right, so that brings the story about Tim Michaels. Tim Michaels um, has a very, very nice home in, in Waukesha County. I mean, a several-million-dollar home. He also has an extremely nice home in New York, um, Long Island, I think. And there, there, you know, there's, there's pictures of it. It's out there on the Internet. What he did was in, I think, you know, like 2014, 2015 or something, he moved to New York with his family, and they, they were there for like a year when the, the there was a big project that the company was working on. So he relocated there. And, you know, between now and then, he's been, ba- he's been back and forth. I think his kids graduated from high school out there, but they've always maintained the residence in, Wal- in Waukesha County. It, for tax purposes, with the exception of this one year that he spent the majority of his time in New York because of this project, he, he's always been treated as a Wisconsin resident for tax purposes. He's always voted in Wisconsin. So, again, he's got another residence that, that is in New York. He's got another house. He says, hey, my home has always been Wisconsin. And now there's all these issues. Well, he's, he's got a second home. Yeah, he's got a second home. I guess I look at this and say, to me, where did you vote? Where did you pay taxes? And where do you consider your residence to be? And in Michael's case, again, he, he voted out of Wisconsin. He pays taxes in Wisconsin. And he's had residences in Wisconsin for pretty much his entire life. To me... He is a Wisconsin resident. And, and by the way, you can run for office um, and you can establish residency in just a matter of weeks. But that's not the point. This is not some carpetbagger who has no ties to Wisconsin. And yet my guess is you're going to see some negative ads pop up. But let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. He's got a second place. He's a successful businessman. He's got a second place. And it's very, very clear that his family spent a bunch of time there. His kids went to school out there. Okay, does that mean... Does that mean he should be somehow disqualified for running for U.S. Senate? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, Hillary Clinton. Didn't Hillary Clinton claim New York as a residence with a lot less, when she wanted to run for Senate, with a lot less connection than Michaels in Wisconsin? Absolutely. You know, look, the guy is from Wisconsin. Grew up in Wisconsin. The company is based in Wisconsin. Now, here's what he told the local newspaper before this even became an issue. You know, back, I think, right contemporaneous with him announcing. He said, look, here, here's the deal. He, he and his family began living in New York around 2013 after Michael's Corporation won a bid to build the company's largest project at the time, a new subway tunnel in Manhattan. Three-year project began in 2013. He says it required a lot of oversight. I, I pretty much had to live out there, and the whole family decided that we all wanted to go and stay together. All right, you can appreciate that. So there was a good chunk of a four-year period that the project was going on that we were all living in New York. 
Okay, that's what he, and this is what he said, I think, before he got into this race. He says, I was careful as I could be to maintain my Wisconsin residency. There was one year, I think that was 2015, that I tripped over and had too many days in New York, but we've always technically been Wisconsin residents. We're cheeseheads three, through and through. He says, you know, he was born in Lamira. He considers the family's Waukesha County home to be his primary residence, and since 2013, with the exception of that one year, has spent at least 183 days of each year um, in Wisconsin, and that was the year when the Manhattan Tunnel Project was at its peak. State law allows people to temporarily move and continue to vote from their home address as long as they intend to return to the address. So, you know, what, what, what's this about your kids, you know, graduating from school out there? He says, well, we probably could have moved back a few years ago, but my daughter was going to be a senior in high school. She was doing great. And, you know, we just decided we weren't going to, we were not going to move her back to Wisconsin. So she didn't have a disruptive senior year. Life brings you circumstances. You just roll with them. We did the right thing for a family. I did the right thing for the company, but I've always been a Wisconsin resident, which, which to me kind of ends the, the entire inquiry about you know this i mean it's like okay you you you've got you, you've got another place i mean if, if you want to examine you know ties to a community well I, I think you know you need to look no farther than you know alex lasry who, who's running for u.s senate who is a guy from new york who kind of moved here a few years back with with dad when you know they ended up buying the the bucks and I mean, I understand he, he's bought a home here, and I think he, he lives here now. But you know, there's all sorts of ties that they've had to, to New York as well. Candidly, I would be a lot more concerned with somebody who has only lived here a couple years and is deciding to run for office than I would be with somebody like Tim Michaels, who has grown up in Wisconsin, whose company you know has, has existed in its entirety in Wisconsin. Who, yeah, for a couple of years, I had to relocate. I mean, is that any is that any different, really? Than, okay, I've joined the military and I've gotten, you know, I've got the house in wherever, but uh, the, I'm I'm overseas for a year or I'm an assignment or whatever. It, it's uh, th- this. There's no way in God's green earth that anybody can rationally and reasonably say that Tim Michaels is is a carpetbagger. Now, one of the interesting things that's going to play out here is I understand there's going to be a little bit of class warfare, and and I can picture the ads right now. It's going to be well, you know, here you have a guy that's running for governor, and and look at this big house that he has there. I, I hope it doesn't come to that because we we've had a lot of people who have been wealthy, some of whom have just kind of inherited it, other people who have, you know, built businesses and earned it, um, who, who've run for office and it hasn't been a big deal. People didn't care that Herb Cole had a huge, you know, place out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, and I don't think people should have cared about that. I mean, Herb Cole was a guy that, you know, had incredible ties to Wisconsin, just like Tim Michaels did, you know, went to high school here, you know, went to college here, all those different types of things, and then built a business here. So it wasn't an issue with Herb Cole. Don't think it should be an issue with Tim Michaels either. We will see. Well, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It has now become a reality. I'm not telling you anything new if I tell you that inflation is out of control. 8.5% increase recently. That's the, the largest increase in decades. And everybody's trying to wrestle with how you deal with that. One of the ideas the Biden administration came out with is what they're going to do is allow E15 
gasoline, which is gasoline that has a higher concentration of ethanol to be sold during the summer months. Typically, E15 gasoline is not allowed to be sold during the summer because it creates a little more smog. But the idea is, well, E15 is cheaper. On average, it's about 10 cents a gallon cheaper than the regular gasoline that has about 10% ethanol in it. So the idea is we will give consumers a break. That's the idea. We'll give them a break by giving them the option to run E15 gasoline. Now, I, let me just say this at first, at the outset. I, I, to me, this is an individual consumer choice, and, and I don't have a problem with the Biden administration and the Biden EPA saying, all right, you can, you can buy E15 gas if you want during the summer. Would I do that? No, I don't like E15 gas. I don't think the cars run as well. But, but here's the, the bigger problem, and it's one of the things that just really drive me crazy because – we have real economic issues. I mean, you know, people are, are really, when you're looking at spiraling costs and stuff, they, they need more than lip service. They need more than kind of putting lipstick on a pig of a problem. What they need is they need real solutions. Well, here's the problem with like E15 gasoline. E15 gasoline is 10% cheaper, 10 cents cheaper on average. That's true. But it's also a lot less efficient. You get less – it doesn't generate as much energy. It does – in the simplest terms, it doesn't generate as much power. So you buy E15 gasoline, and you're going to get fewer miles per gallon than if you were using E10. And matter of fact, I sent out a tweet about this not that long ago, and you can follow me if you want to see it. It's at, at Jeff Wagner 620. And, and the way it works is it actually pretty much turns out to be a wash because, yes, when you buy gasoline – you pay 10 cents per gallon less. So you put 10 gallons in, you, you save yourself a dollar. The problem is your miles per gallon aren't going to be as great if you're using the E15 gasoline. So at the end of the day, it, for all intents and purposes, it's a wash. So by, by saying, here, we're going to help with inflation by encouraging people to buy E15 gasoline. No, you're not. All that means is that they're going to be going to the gas station more often because they're not getting the same mileage. Stuff like this just drives me crazy. Let's recognize that we've got a problem. Let's deal with it directly, not play all these little cutesy games. Back with more in just a minute. Matter of fact, in the two o'clock hour of the program, nuclear power, Summerfest, and dog tracks. It'll be interesting, I guarantee. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. So glad to have you with us on a, what's the word we're using? Crummy. Crummy Tuesday afternoon. If you look at the long-term forecast, the, the idea is that the weather's maybe going to get better by next week. Uh, but there's still a couple days, maybe even by this weekend. But it, we, we really have had pretty much no spring here. But I guess it's one of the joys we get about living in Wisconsin. It is the end of an era. You may remember there was a time when dog racing, greyhound racing, that is, was a big, big deal. Matter of fact, there was a time um, when in Wisconsin, I, I think you had five Greyhound tracks. You had Dairyland Greyhound Park um, down in Kenosha, which at the time was one of the two or three largest Greyhound tracks in the country. Um, you had racing that was going on in, in Lake Geneva. You had racing that was going on in Wisconsin Dells. There was a track in Kaukauna, and then there was a track in the western part of the state. 
Greyhound racing was a really, really, really big deal. Then what ended up happening is a couple years after they built all these Greyhound tracks, uh, they, they reached a, there was a court decision and Indian gaming was allowed. And then you had all the, the Indian the, the Indian casinos that, that started to, to pop up. And, and they essentially killed Greyhound racing because I think a, a lot of people – just came to the conclusion of, hey, if, if you want to gamble, you can go and play slot machines, and you can keep putting the money in and the money in, or you can play cards or whatever. You don't have to wait for you know, 15 minutes between races. And and, and it was, I, I firmly believe, in Wisconsin and all across the country, you had greyhound racing that was essentially killed by by the casinos. It, it, just, it was just a matter of preference, and that's what ended up happening. Um, in addition, in a couple states, for example, Florida, you've had a couple of the animal rights activists who've been very aggressive as saying, oh, dog racing is horrible, to the extent that um, I think a couple of years ago, Florida voters passed a referendum which said after, I think this year, you, you, you were not allowed to have legal dog racing anymore. So I believe all the tracks in Florida have closed. Matter of fact, I, I know it. There is one dog track that is left in the Midwest, um, but only until May 15th. So what's that? A week from, from Sunday. And that is the dog track in Dubuque, Iowa, which has been in existence for the longest time. I can remember my brother and I taking road trips to Dubuque, Iowa, and we would drive out there on like a Friday and Friday and we'd we'd watch like the matinee of dog racing on Friday and then go Friday night and then Saturday we'd uh, you know go to the daily thing and maybe we'd go Saturday night and then we'd, we'd come back on Sunday. But I can remember going to the dog races in, in Dubuque and we used to have a, a lot of fun. Uh, the dog races in Dubuque, like I say, the track will be closing after, I believe, a, a week from Sunday, uh, May 15th, uh, because, first of all, the, the industry has essentially been shuttered all across the country. And secondly, the uh, industry has been supported by um, by casino gaming. The casinos have had to contribute a portion of their winnings to help support dog racing. That rule ends this year, so there's just not enough money to make it viable. So the track in Dubuque is going to close, like I say, a week from Sunday. After the track in Dubuque closes, there will be two dog uh, tracks left open in the country, both of them in West Virginia. And otherwise, that's it. And there was a point in time, not really that long ago, where you had, well, well over 50 tracks across the country. And now, again, with the exception after a week from Sunday, with the exception of these two tracks in West Virginia, dog racing is going to have completely disappeared. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before that happens, I want to take a quick walk down memory lane. I used to enjoy going to the dog tracks. When I was in college, I, I dated a gal who was um, – she she was studying to be a medical technologist, and then she was a little bit older than me. She got a job as a working second shift at, 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 as a medical technologist, worked at a hospital. And I could, so I, I'd go to school during the day, and then you know she'd go to work at 3, come back at 11 or whatever that was. So I had time to kill. So I used to, I used to go to the dog tracks, and I – I didn't have much money back then, but I'd, I'd have X amount of money that was set up. And if I could figure out how to win, I'd win. And if I lost, well, I'd, I'd, I'd go home. But I essentially made all my spending money, at least those last year and a half, two years in college, I, I, I made it 
you know, by going to the dog tracks. Used to have just an absolute blast. Loved it when you had Dairyland Greyhound Park, which was just um, a, a really, I thought it was a fun place to go, although you kind of knew from the start that once they brought in casino gaming on, on Indian lands, you, you know that that was kind of doomed. But I, I got to admit, I, I didn't realize that that track in Dubuque, I should have probably, but I didn't realize that track in Dubuque was, was closing. It, it opened up for a very limited season. It opened up in mid-April, and like I say, it's closing on May 15th. And then that's pretty much going to be it, except for these two tracks in West Virginia. Maybe it's just a little bit of nostalgia, but I remember all the fun of going to the dog track. And we used to, you know, we used to go down there with our, my late wife, her family used to love to go down there. And so we'd, we'd go down there and make these kind of family outings and stuff like that. And it was always a lot of fun. Our number is 855-616-1620. I miss the dog tracks. How about you? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh not that long ago, only well, 30 years ago, do- dog racing was the big thing in Wisconsin. You had five tracks scattered across the state, including Dairyland in Kenosha, which at the time was, like I say, the second or third largest dog track in the country. So th- this was the explosion. What happened then is a year or two later, uh, right after these tracks opened up, you had casino gaming on Indian land, which was allowed, and that, that pretty much killed the dog tracks. Now, they, they died a-, a slow death. First, you had the one in Kaukauna that went away, and then you had the one then the western Wisconsin that went away and then you know it was the Dells and all but but they they pretty much gone away and now all dog tracks are going away there's two left in West Virginia and after a week from Sunday the final remaining track outside of West Virginia that track in Dubuque it, it's closing, and I, I guess I'm, I'm sorry that this is happening. I understand it's business, but I thought it was a fun night. Brian in Lacrosse, Brian, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Dell. Hi, Brian. Yes, I uh, this last weekend, uh, my wife and I, we were in Dubuque, uh, saying goodbye to the dog track. Yeah. And if it would be supported like it was this weekend, I think they'd still be in business. The place was packed, uh, lots of people. Always a good time. I was going to ask you because I, I guess my, I was thinking was it was it kind of sad? I figured it would be empty, but it wasn't. It was it was full, huh? It, it's the fullest I've ever seen it. I mean, like you said, there's been one down there for thirty plus years, and we've gone off and on over the thirty years, once a year or so, and you can just see it dwindling away once the casinos open in Dubuque. Uh, yeah. There's two now, but this weekend, lots of people. Everybody's going to miss it. Everybody had to come down and. Yeah. Watch one last time, I guess. Yeah, no, thanks. How, how'd you so, do? How'd yes. you do? Did you win? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you never lose much or you never win much. So well, that, it's, it's, better than, it's better than the casinos, I think. So. Yeah, no, thanks to the call, Brian. Yeah, that, that is true. That was one of the appeals of, of dog racing because it was a, it was a relatively cheap night. And a, a lot of times to, to attract to attract people, you know, they'd have these deer deals where there'd be like dollar beers or like 50 cent hot dogs or, or things like that. And it really seriously was a place where you could go with, you know, a, a lot of friends, a lot of, I, I know at Dairyland, a, a lot of, a lot of college kids, for example, you know, used to go because it's just like, it's just like bingo. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if they've reopened bingo at Potawatomi yet or not. I don't think so. But I, I, I I, you you go there, and especially like on Friday and Saturday nights, you see a lot of college kids and stuff because you can play bingo legally when it's eighteen, so it's not like going to the bars. And you know it's cheap for twenty bucks or whatever. You can kill 
hours of time, and you've always got the chance that you can win. I I was there a, a couple of years ago because we have a very dear friend who loves to play bingo. So one night we, we agreed to do it, and we went to like the late Saturday night thing, and it was, I think it started at 11, and the thing didn't end until 2 o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking, really, it's one thirty in the morning and we're still playing bingo, but there were all these people, particularly lots of, you know, lots of younger people, there, and it was like their their entertainment on a Saturday night. That's how the, the dog tracks were as well. Jeff, I worked at Dairyland for the 20 years it was opened, and it was really a nice place. You could take a family for fun. There were hardcore gamblers there, but the track made it fun for the casual gambler by having buffet dining, outdoor seating, so kids could go outside to see the dogs up close and other things. It was a job that I never made much money at, but I truly loved it. Jeff, my grandparents took me to the Dells for my 18th birthday, the first year they opened. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I won a Superfecta, that's first through fourth in order. On the last race of the night, it paid $1,256 on a $1 bet, probably not a good thing because I still love to gamble. Yeah, that's that's it. You know, the first one is free. That that's the kind of thing. Here, let's suck you in. You win that twelve hundred bucks, and now you think I can do it all the time. And unfortunately, um, no, Jeff. I wish they still had the tracks as long as the dogs were treated well. We got one texter who says that they worked there at, at one of the tracks, and the dogs weren't treated well. It it, it varies. I mean, the people that. I knew at the various tracks that I would like hang out at, um, the dogs, at least based on what I could tell, the dogs were, were treated extremely well because the, the dogs, you, you want the dogs to be kept in good condition and stuff. But at the same time, I, I mean, admittedly, it's not like, I mean, the, the dogs are in training and they're kept in cages and things like that. But that was actually one of the reasons why, at least in Florida, for example, it was the animal rights folks that said, hey, dog racing is cruel. I don't know. That's something that may be up for debate. But the bottom line is, I I think dog racing was a fun um, thing to do. Jeff, I'm from Racine. I remember dollar night at the dog track, dollar beers, dollar sodas, dollar hot dogs. Yeah, I think that was was, um, fun. Jeff, I miss the dog races as well. It was a fun outing, and you didn't have to spend a lot of money on this. Jeff, would you want little Sasha running around a track multiple times a day for people's enjoyment? Well, no, but Sasha's not a greyhound, and she wasn't raised to do this. Jeff, I don't think I ever made any money, but we still enjoyed going to Dairyland. I believe on three or four locations, we won a spin at the fair park that Dairyland set up where you spin the wheel, and if you landed on something, you got a party to take like 10 or 20 people to Dairyland that included admission. Um, you know, people were in uh, you know a good mood. It was fun going down there with a group. Yeah, I think that that's the, the general sentiment of, of that. And the truth of the matter is, it's like so many things, <clears throat> it's going away. So I bring this up simply because if you want a throwback and you're saying, gee, I used to like going to the dog races and things like that. Well, you, you've got one more chance or at least one more week of dog racing in Dubuque. And then it kind of goes away, and your chances are pretty limited. And I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine five years from now they're still going to have dog racing anywhere because you know where are the dogs going to come from and things like that. Once a big business, now it's it's pretty much gone away, as happens to so many places. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Speaking of gambling, if you're one of those people who likes to go to the casino and occasionally figures out a way to to win big. You will be you will be happy to know this. The city of Milwaukee, it's no secret, the city of Milwaukee is just 
sucking fumes when it comes to revenue. The city faces the need to raise about $50 million annually starting in 2023. Without it, um, they're, they're going to end up having to lay off about a quarter of their workforce. So if I tell you, it might be an overstatement to say the city of Milwaukee is broke, but the city of Milwaukee is is struggling. On top of that, you've got Milwaukee County, which is even in worse financial shape and trying to figure out where money is going to come from. So it's always an issue. So one of the Milwaukee aldermen, Mark Borkowski, who, by the way, is one of the, the few the few aldermen that could pass for a conservative, he's trying to figure out creative, out-of-the-box ways that we can raise some revenue to try to help solve this problem. So the idea that Borkowski floats a couple weeks ago is he says, I know what we're going to do. We should have a jackpot tax. And the proposal would be for anybody who is at Potawatomi who wins in excess of $1,200, okay, there would be a 1% city tax that would be imposed. So if you win 1200 bucks. You know, that's $12. But if you win something big, that you're paying more of that. Now, that is, of course, on top of all the other taxes that you pay if you're a winner. You know, you win, and not that it's happened very often, but, you know, you have one of those big slot machine wins or something like that. And, you know, you get an IRS form. And, you know, Uncle Sam figures out that, you know, you've won that money and they want their share of it. And the State Department of Revenue figures out, you know, that you've won that money, and Tony Evers, he wants his share of it. So it's already like you're paying taxes. But the idea was, here, here, let's, let's, this is a quick way to raise some money, because the people are going to be so thrilled that they won the money that they're not going to care about another 1% or whatever. It'll be, it'll be easy. You know, there's not going to be any sort of blowback. Well, so he floats this idea, and I appreciate that he's kind of well-intentioned with this, but Still, it's another tax. Well, interesting, the, I think the folks at Potawatomi call them in and say, well, wait a second, here's the idea. Because, yeah, we understand what you're trying to do, but you've got to understand we're, we're in a competitive environment. There's, you know, there's a, a casino. There's going to be a new casino in Waukegan. There's always this talk about whether or not we're going to set up a casino in Kenosha. We are in this competitive environment. And... We're already paying all this money to the state, and we're already paying this money to the county, and we're already paying this much money to the city, and we're already competing and all these different things. And, you know, just to add a 1% tax onto winners, all that's going to do is drive some of the people that would play here. It's going to drive them to Waukegan or whatever. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. Don't don't know. But I guess I look at this and say, you know, it's not like we're not already taking enough taxes out of things. I will not will not deny that from time to time I've placed a bet. I don't do that very much anymore, although we're going to um, Las Vegas in October for a couple days, and I'll probably do that then. But at the same time, when you win money at a casino, you're already going to be paying a lot in taxes for it. And I guess it seems to me that if the city of Milwaukee wants to get its financial house in order, there's all sorts of things that it could do short of saying we want more money from the casino. So this is apparently explained to the alderman and uh, he has voluntarily withdrawn his push for the so-called jackpot tax. So if you happen to go down to the casino downtown and you happen to do well, don't worry. The city of Milwaukee is not going to come out with its hand in, its hat in its hand and say, give me 1% of that. Probably a good move. 
If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Lots of new postings. Matter of fact, we I, I try to use Twitter nowadays to cover some things that we don't necessarily get to on the program. If you want to see Ron Johnson's latest attack ad, um, and that's what it is. It's, he's starting to take the gloves off. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And John Chisholm who has been on a milk carton, that's the Milwaukee District Attorney, for the last several months on things like his office's policy on charging decisions and bail decisions and sentencing recommendations. Well, he was able to resurface today to discuss the unissued abortion decision, saying how terrible he thought that this would be. So you can check that all out. It's at Wagner 620. All right. When California is rethinking this, Maybe it's a lesson for all of us. Now, I understand that there is a huge push, and we've talked about this before, in in this country, you've got the environmentalists and you've got Joe Biden who are pushing this idea that, hey, we we need to get rid of our use of fossil fuels and we need to to get people into – we need this clean energy and we need people driving around in electric cars and things like that. And that's all well and good. But part of the problem is we need a way, we need reliable power sources. I mean, I understand for a lot of people, you think that when you walk into a room and you throw that switch, that boom, all all that electricity and stuff is just automatically there and it's going to appear. Well, that's not really the case. The electricity has to be generated by these things called power plants, right? And you have a whole electric grid that's out there, and the electric grid then delivers the electricity from the power plants, and somehow it gets it into your wall at at your house. So we we have an electric grid that is is nowhere capable of of dealing with everything you need to go completely renewable in in the near future. That's just the reality of this. On top of that, the power has to be generated from somewhere. And I understand that there's people who have these pie-in-the-sky attitudes of, well, what we can do is we can have solar panels and we can have wind. And, and, and that's okay to, to an extent, but there's nobody who I, I think really thinks that you can generate enough you know, um, sol- through solar power, that you can generate enough, for example, uh, electricity to heat people's homes in January in Wisconsin, or or wind power. Wind is fine, but what happens when the wind doesn't blow? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't explore these, but they're niches, and that that's just the reality. You need to have power that's generated somehow. So the evil is, well, you've got all these power plants that are run by coal, or they're run by natural gas, and they're these fossil fuels, and we, we, we don't want that. Well, okay, if you, don't want, if you don't want the coal, and you don't want the natural gas, and the reality is, you know, solar and wind and stuff like that can't generate enough, what is the option? What is the other option? The option, all right, you don't have to call in a guess, the option is nuclear power. Right now, in California, there's one nuclear power plant that's that's left. Um, it generates about twenty percent of all the power in California, the electricity in California. So you close this plant, and you got to immediately figure out where where are you going to get you know twenty percent more electricity. And they don't have any sort of good answers for this. The one plant that's left open is called the the Diablo Canyon Nuclear Plant. And Gavin Newsom, who is the very, very liberal governor of California, who wants to be president of the United States, he's been an advocate for closing it. Until now, 
uh, the power company is saying, okay, well, you know, unless we can get some sort of relief from some of these different standards that are being put in, we're going to have to close this by 2025. And you, Governor, are going to have to figure out where the power is going to come from if suddenly, you know, you lose 20% of the power in California. And California, of course, is different than trying to heat homes in um, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, for example, in, in February. So now, looking at the reality, the governor is saying, well, maybe maybe we don't need to, to close this. And, and maybe, you know, I'd be on board with applying for one of these federal grants and getting hundreds of millions or a couple billion dollars to keep the power plant open for at least the next three years, and then we'll decide. Now, it's interesting because a, this is California. A recent poll in California, sponsored by the LA Times, found that 44% of California voters support building more nuclear reactors in California. 37% uh, are opposed. But, you know, for the first time in a long time, you've now got people saying we should take a new look at, we should take a new look at at nuclear power. The same poll also found that about 40% of the voters shutting down this nuclear plant and only about 33% support closing it. Um, You know, here's, here is the deal. If, if you want to meet President Biden's goals uh, of clean energy by 2035 and things like that. Almost everybody, if they're being honest, understands the only way to do that is to build more nuclear power plants. Now, whenever we talk about this, I understand there's some people who who say, well, what about Three Mile Island? Or, Or what about Chernobyl, you know, we, we had these problems. Or, you know, they think back to, you know, the old, you know, the movie with the China Syndrome with Jane Fonda and Jack Lemmon. Oh, don't you remember that? This we, we could destroy the world. Well, the truth of the matter is things have changed a lot over the years. And if you want to try to start doing away with fossil fuels, the only way it seems to me realistically that you're going to be able to do it is if we start turning back to nuclear energy. You know, we're worried about what's going on with the dependency that, you know, European countries like Germany and France have on on oil and gas that's coming from Russia. Well, the answer is pretty simple. The answer is build more nuclear plants. I might have told this story before when we were on our last listener trip in that we went to Normandy, but we're in France. And, and one of the guides on one of the buses is saying, well, you know, we, here in France, we get 50 percent, whatever the whatever the percentage was of our energy, I'm sorry to say, from nuclear power. And my friend and I were sitting next to each other. We're looking and saying, why are you sorry to say that? It, it's clean. It's efficient. You know, where do you think it's going to come from? Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, California seriously reconsidering whether it wants to close their last nuclear plant because they don't know where the energy is going to come from. I think not only should they not close that plant, but I think all over the country and all over the world, we need to seriously start looking at nuclear power as an option to try to keep the lights on. Because if you think you're going to do it with solar power or wind power, not in my lifetime, not in your lifetime. It's just not going to happen. All right, so more nukes, 855-616-1620, and that's, that's the good kind of nukes, that is. What do you think? There's a story in the Washington Post that says that the biggest problem with, with nuclear energy is the word nuclear. 
because you say nuclear and everybody thinks about the atomic bombs at Nagasaki and Hiroshima. That That's what people think about. They say, hey, what, what we really need to do is, is rebrand it. Just do away with the word nuclear. Call it elemental. That That's the word that's being thrown around. And then have this discussion about, okay, these are all the benefits and this is how much power it generates and this is the clean energy and the risks are extremely minimal to this. And, you know, this is the, the small amount of waste that it generates and this can all be contained in this particular situation. And, and if you just rebrand it and take away the word nuclear and just explain to people what it is and what it does and how much power it generates, what you do is you'd, you'd have a 90 percent approval rating. People would be saying, why Why aren't we doing this? Let's talk to Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm in favor for it. If we can, if we can power our Navy, our super carriers with nuclear power with absolutely zero issues uh, for, for a better part of three decades or more, I don't see any reason why we can't utilize that same type of technology here on land to start powering our our cities. Um, the only reason why a supercarrier comes to ports is to resupply, reconstitute. This thing can stay out for, for years and years. So obviously the technology is there. We just need to figure a way to, to ap- apply that to, to land and, and make it affordable to build and, 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 right. and maintain. Yeah, no, thanks. For, and, and deal with the political issue. I mean, because that, that, that's that's part of the thing that's here. People hear, oh, you're going to build a nuclear plant. Well, the nuclear plants they're building now are, are generally, they're, they're smaller. But I understand you had Chernobyl. All right. I understand you had Three Mile Island, although I don't believe anybody died as a result of Three Mile Island. And, and I guess, but at the same time, you, you, you have you have oil spills. You're going to be living with that. You know, there's always going to be some degree of risk, but I think almost all the experts would tell you overwhelmingly that nuclear power is incredibly safe, especially when you look at all that it can generate. Look, here, I just want to have, I want to have a reasonable conversation with people because I'm 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 not sold on the electric cars and things like that. I appreciate that at some point in time, in some point in history, that it will be economically feasible and real-world practical to move to, to say, electric cars I, I, at some point in time. But I don't know when that is. And candidly, I mean, right now, I don't think the power grid could sustain that. And I don't think the technology is there for, you know, we, we don't have the, the cars that can drive, you know, 500 miles on a particular charge and that can be, you know, um, re-upped. The batteries can be re-upped in, in a matter of minutes. And until you do that, it's always going to be more economical and more practical for people to use the internal combustion engine. But I confess, that there will be a time when technology will probably make fossil fuels irrelevant. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but maybe it's going to happen. But the bottom line is you have to have an honest conversation about replacements. And if all we're talking about is, well, we're going to put up wind towers or turbines, wind tur- turbines, and we're going to have solar panels, uh, that that's that doesn't solve the problem. That that might be nice and it might be a niche and that's all well and good, but it's not going to solve the problem. So if you want to have a significant honest conversation, it seems to me the only thing that you can be talking about is nuclear power. And it is interesting to me, like I say, even the governor of California who's faced with Okay, this is California of all places. He's looking at the polls, and a majority of people who express an opinion say, "Hey, we want to keep this power plant open, and we think we should, you know, build, you know, new 
we, we should be building new nuclear power plants. And for everybody whose only knowledge of nuclear power comes from watching Jane Fonda in the China Syndrome, well, you know, what you have to do is, is deal with that. Now, a number of people are saying, you know, have they perfected the way to use the waste to generate power? So that's the thing. Most and I don't claim to be an expert on this, but from what I understand, like 97%, uh, first of all, nuclear power plants do not, as a general rule, generate a lot of waste, especially in comparison to, say, like a coal-fired power plant. The waste that's generated, 97% of it or so, can be recycled. As far as that that core stuff, what they do is they, they package it up in containers. Right now, I was just reading something that says that all the nuclear waste that has been generated in this country, you could fit these containers like in, in a football field. Now, people would say, well, do you want that football field in your backyard? No, but it's a big country, and you can find areas where you can store that nuclear waste. But the flip side is, no, I don't want nuclear waste in my backyard, in my personal backyard. But at the same time, I, I also don't want to, I don't know, have to live with 33-degree temperatures or 35-degree temperatures in my home over um, over December and January and February. I mean, you know, that's that, I think, is what the key here is. But again, we have to get into a situation where we have to have a reasonable discussion of it. And to me, maybe the best indicator of that is the fact that even in California, of all places, even in California, they're starting to look at this and say, well, you know, um, you know, maybe – Maybe this is something that makes sense. Jeff, nuclear power plants' construction costs are much higher than fossil plants. Privately owned power companies would need subsidies. Well, maybe. that The cost of constructing the plants is higher, although that's going down as, as technology develops. But over the long term, again, when you look at how much energy that how much bang for the buck you get from a nuclear plant compared to, say, some of the other types of plants, it, it makes just a lot of sense. And certainly it makes a lot of sense compared to, you know, how expensive it is to generate solar power or wind power or things like that. Jeff, to me, wind farms have to shut down a couple times a year due to migrating birds, and they are very noisy. Well, I mean, I'm not against wind farms, but again, it's it's a niche. That That's just the reality. Is it a niche that can occupy 5% of the industry? You know, maybe. You know, put it with solar power, maybe you can get 10%. I, I don't know, but, but, but it's a niche. It's never going to be what you need if we really want to upgrade the power grid so we can all drive electric cars and heat our homes with something other than natural gas. Okay, when we come back, John McCure is on the road again. The Bucks game two of the playoffs. It's in Boston, but John McCure and Melissa Barkley are in the Deer District. Greg Matzik is in Boston. We'll check in with John and Melissa in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.